Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Well, hey, church, I'm excited to be preaching today, to bring the word today in our second week of the Good Life series. But, you know, I wanted to let you in on something that maybe you've already actually seen on social media, or maybe someone's told you, or maybe you've heard from uh, who knows where, or maybe you just saw me and came up with your own opinion that this might be the case right now. But if you haven't heard, we wanted to let you know that um, Pastor Brandon and myself, we are actually expecting another baby. So we're excited about that. This is our fourth baby due in April. Uh, So that's a lot of fun. So if you've been wondering, hey, it looks like she's pregnant. It's true. I am pregnant. I've been trying to hide it for the past couple of months, not always successfully, but we wanted to let you in on it as well. So that's exciting. But hey, I'm going to jump right in because I don't have that much time. They like restrict my time a little bit here. So I can't talk all about pregnancy for the next 20 minutes because I want to get to the word and what's happening in this series. So hey, if you have your Bible with you, why don't you open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to go to verse 11. This is actually the verse right before the one that Brandon camped out on last week in verse 12. We're going to be in verse 11. And it says this, Peter is saying, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. This is a short verse but it packs a lot of punch. And it's really actually important for us today as we navigate what does it look like to live the good life in our society right now in 2021. So, hey, why don't we pray and we will keep diving into it. God, I thank you that we get to gather here. Lord, that we get to be online right now, that we get to be watching and receiving and praising your name from wherever we are watching from. And I just pray that you would speak through me today, God, in your name, Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder, have you ever felt like an outsider? Okay, I mean, there's lots of situations and times where I have felt like like an outsider. You might think of situations as a kid where maybe you weren't invited to that group or, or you were the odd person out on a team sport or whatever that looked like. Maybe you felt like an outsider there. I I don't know if you've ever felt like kind of new to a situation and no one really wants to feel like an outsider. Even when I'm traveling, I don't want to feel like an outsider. When I go to different cities and different places, I don't know about you, but sometimes I actually feel kind of homesick because I get that feeling of I am not a resident here. I am not local to this place. I will actually in advance do what I can to start feeling a little bit more comfortable. I will Google like restaurants that I should go to. I will make sure I know where my hotel is at. I'll make sure I know my way around the city a little bit. Maybe I'll talk to people who have been there before because I don't want to land in a city and just feel like an outsider, feel like I have no bearing. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't always feel good. You know, some of us maybe take this a little too far. I think every one of us would probably know someone that's gone to like New York City or Australia or maybe even the UK and they come back and they actually even have an accent, right? Like we want to acclimatize so much that we actually even pick up some of the ways that people talk. Now, it's one thing if you're there for like a year. It's another thing if you're there for two weeks, okay? You have not picked up the accent in two weeks. So I feel like you should maybe uh, maybe drop it. But 
hey, we want to fit in. We want to fit in where we are. So, you know, what the heck is Peter talking about here when he is addressing foreigners and exiles? Is he not just talking to Jews and Gentiles that are living in Asia Minor? Aren't these just ordinary people? Well, no, these are actually Christians. He's talking to Christians. He's encouraging Christians. And their way of life actually looks starkly different to the society that they find themselves in at the time. They're actually standing out amongst the people that they live around. And Peter is addressing them and encouraging them foreigners and exiles. I am going to speak to that. You see, there was a recognition that for people who follow uh, the way of Jesus, life was going to look different, and people around them may actually not be so accepting of it. They weren't so accepting of the, their morality. They weren't so accepting of their way of living. They weren't so accepting of this idea of Jesus. And I wonder if this actually sounds familiar to us today. If you call yourself a Christian, maybe you actually find yourself in a place where you're going, yeah, some of the things that I believe and I think and I can see within scripture don't seem to stand up and don't seem to make sense to the world around me. Last week, Brandon started off this series of the good life. And he was talking about how, hey, like once upon a time as Christians, Maybe we were seen as the moral do-gooders in life, right? These people who kind of uh, lived maybe these restricted lives or these lives that were so good and they didn't have any fun and it was actually more boring than anything. But like, that's what the Christian faith was about. But now we've seen this bit of a turn that's taken place where actually society has created its own moral code. And when it looks at the Christian faith, it's easy to actually go, well, actually, it seems like the way you are living is immoral when it's put up against the moral code that we live by. And, you know, we can actually be seen then as immoral. And how do we start to live this Christian life? How do we navigate this in the world that we live in? How do we see this as the good life and actually live it out? You know, by accepting Jesus today, church, we, even in a country like Canada, right, we are foreigners and exiles. We are living and operating differently than the world around us says is the way to live and operate, the best way to live and operate, the tolerant way to live and operate, the way that is the most accepting way to live and operate. There's, this is kind of the language that's touted by the world around us, and yet we as Christians are looking to Christ for our morality, are looking to Christ for the way that we live and operate. We are foreigners and exiles. You see, the transformation that we receive through Christ, the salvation we receive by accepting that he died and rose again on that cross for our sins, for the things that separate us from God, Jesus died for them so that we could actually have a way to God the Father, so that we could actually be saved. That transformation that takes place is so complete that we are actually no longer uh, locals here on earth. Our residency is actually in heaven. Our identity is actually those who are in heaven. We've taken up this new identity. You see, surrendering ourselves to, to Christ kind of gives us like a new postal code, is how you could think about it. We live here on earth, but we are actually needing to recognize that we belong to a kingdom that is outside of the city walls that we find ourselves in. We may be in the same physical location, but our souls reside elsewhere. 
So Peter is talking to this Christian, and it applies to us today, but he's not suggesting to them. He's not saying, hey, by the way, you might have noticed that some of the things that you operate out of, some of the ideas that have come for you, some of the things that Christ tells us to do, you might have noticed that they're a little bit different, and it's good just to be aware of that. That's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, I urge you, I beseech you, is what some translations say. I urge you, foreigners and exiles. He is serious here. He is desperate here. He wants us to take notice. And what he says is abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. He just puts it out there. Hey, there are things that are sinful in you. There are sinful desires that are inside of you, and they are at war for your soul. They want your attention. They want you to focus on them. They want you to give in. They want you to get wrapped up and entangled by them. And he is saying, hey, be aware of it and flee from it. Abstain from it. Stay away from it because they don't serve your identity in Christ. They are not going to bring you closer to Jesus in any way. You see, every other person may accept all of these things, all of these sinful desires as normal, right? As totally fine, as totally moral, as totally acceptable. And this in our current climate can actually make this so much harder. It's harder to abstain from sinful desires when the people around us are saying, why would you abstain from that? That seems fine. That seems normal. So we must actually first recognize that we are not locals in our society if we are going to accept that the, our thoughts and behaviors cannot be the same. We cannot just place ourselves on our street, in our neighborhood, with our political riding, whatever that looks like. We can't just sit there and say, oh yeah, I'm at home here. This is normal here. This is, this, I'm going to behave and acclimatize to what's happening around us. We actually have to first recognize and accept the fact that we are foreigners and exiles. We are different from the world around us. And once we accept that, it's much easier to look at the behaviors that are seen as normal around us and go, hey, that's actually not for me. That's actually not the way of Christ. We are being urged here not to pick up the accent, not to accept the local tendencies, not to take on the culture of the world around us. We are, we are being urged here to recognize our identity in Christ. I want to take you back to the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 6. You see, Daniel, this, this um, man in scripture that we read about, and maybe you're familiar with in some capacity, he was an exile and he was carried uh, over to Babylon. And he was a pretty skilled guy. He was smart. He knew what he was talking about. And when he was under the rule of one of the kings, that was noticed. These qualities of leadership, these exceptional qualities that were seen in him, these skill sets that were, were noticeable right from the start, were noticed by the king. And immediately he was, so, he was actually so exceptional that the king had planned to set him over the entire kingdom. This guy, this exile, was actually meant to be put over the entire kingdom. And as you can imagine, as it is even here today, that when someone is elevated, when someone's skills are elevated in a certain way, there's usually people that are naysayers around. There's usually people who are going to be a little bit critical of what's going on. And it was no different for Daniel. 
The administrators that were there didn't like this idea so much, that Daniel was all of a sudden getting this authority, was getting this influence, was getting this position, uh, that, that his skills were noticed. And so they looked for every way that they could take him out. They were looking like crazy. And basically, they came to this place. In, in verse 5, they said, Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. They saw his identity in God. They saw that he was a God follower. They saw that he was totally surrendered and sold out to his God. And they said, there is nothing that we can do. There is no way that we can pull this man down. There is no way that we can actually uh, uh, dismiss him or cancel him or anything like that unless it has to do with his faith in God, unless it has to do with what God has said is the right way to live. So what did they do? They basically get the king to create a decree that if anyone prayed to anyone but King Darius, they would, throw, they would be thrown into a lion's den. And when someone is uh, maybe a little bit prideful or maybe a little bit full of themselves, as kings seem to be in this day and age, it's not that hard to get them to go, yeah, that's a great idea. I think everyone should, uh, should just focus on me. I think that all of it should be about me. I will sign that decree, no problem, not thinking beyond his, himself in this. So he's like, yep, that sounds great. But I love Daniel's response, and I think that we can actually gain something from this today that's really significant. In verse 10, it says, now when Daniel learned, so he heard it, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, right, he heard, this is what, this is what I've got to do, this is what the, the society around me is saying, this is what the king has decreed, this is what has to happen, this is what I'm supposed to do. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Even when the times of society changed, even when the moral code of society changed, even when the law shifted on how he ought to behave, Daniel still stayed steadfast in his prayer and his faith and his dedication to God. His behavior did not change. He didn't go into hiding. He didn't all of a sudden say, okay, I'll still pray, but I'll keep the doors closed and the windows shut. He, didn't do, he went as he always did and continued to turn towards God. Daniel was in exile, and when the moral code of the kingdom changed, he remained steadfast in his devotion to God. You see, there was consequences to this. Daniel was taken, and he was thrown into a den of lions. And we can paint this in the most lovely Sunday school picture that we want. But I can't quite imagine being thrown into a den of hungry lions. The king was so disturbed by all of this. He didn't sleep all night. And they go back in the morning and he walks out and he declares that I was not alone in there. There was an angel that shut the mouths of those lions. And these lions were not like tame by any means because then all of these administrators got thrown in there and it did not go so well for them. Let's just say they were hungry after a night of not eating. You see, what does this look like for us? We live in a fallen world, and when sin entered, we didn't get around it. We are also broken. We are also sinful. We have sinful desires. Peter is well aware of that. 
And those sinful desires that are in you and that are in me, they wage war against our soul. They want our soul. They want to tear us down. They want to take down our soul. They want to turn us from God. They demand to be worshipped. They demand to be focused on, to be talked about, to be engaged in, and yet they will never be fulfilled. These sinful desires cannot be satiated even if we go and engage in them. It is not going to fulfill us. And to throw a curveball into it, many of these things that God lays out as sinful are actually now celebrated in our society. This is difficult to engage in as a Christian, no matter what age or stage of life you are in. How do we navigate that these sinful desires that are laid out in Scripture are actually being celebrated and encouraged? Which way do we go? We are foreigners and exiles here. We have to remember that. You know, the world says sex is great. And sexual expression with multiple partners is your right. Of course you shouldn't withhold this kind of satisfaction. If you have unwanted pregnancy, we've got an answer for that. If you're worried about STIs, we have a way to, to, to uh, avoid that. Here, you can prevent it. Not a big deal. It feels good. If both of you are consenting adults, go for it. Have fun. Well, what do we see the Bible say? The Bible says sex is great. God created it. It's meant for marriage because this act is not just physical. It's actually holistic to our entire beings. You actually become one flesh with the other person and it's intended to be someone you have made a, a, a marriage covenant with before God when you are joined together as one. These are two different explanations and definitions and perspectives on the same thing. The world says eat, drink, and be merry. If you want to get high, great, you go for it. If it feels good, do it. If you want to get drunk, awesome, you'll be the life of the party. You are more fun, social, capable, brave once you've loosened up a bit. You want to eat that? Absolutely. Don't let someone shame you into something otherwise. The Bible says this is the work of the flesh. You've got to get a view of the bigger picture. We were saved from our own sinful ways. Don't do the things that are going to cause someone else to stumble. It's not wise. In fact, engaging in those things, calling them okay, it doesn't lead you to inheriting the kingdom of God. This isn't who you are. These are just a couple of examples. There are so many different moral codes and ethics and conversations surrounding things that are deemed acceptable, celebrated, and good in our society that as Christians, we have to take scripture. We have to look what God has said, and we have to wrestle with it and go, man, this is a different narrative here. Can you see how stark the difference is? And you might be saying, but Emma, how in the world is this considered the good life? It seems like the restricted life, the cutoff life, the don't have any fun life. But what do we actually know? We know that sin never fulfills us. This is why we always have to chase it. Your body always craves more. We chase a greater high. We need more. It's scientifically shown. Just looking at pornography as an example, by being addicted, looking at pornography on a regular basis, it actually starts to rewire our brain. We are physiologically changed by going into this direction of sin where we need more, and we need it to be more novel, and we need it to be more new, and we need it to be a little bit further down this path if we're going to get the same hit, the same release, the same high, the same interest peaked. And it becomes this twisted and downward spiral that we can so easily get caught in. We start to live in a world of fantasy in order to have the same, to satisfy that sinful cry within us. 
See, sin leads us deeper and deeper into shame, dissatisfaction, loneliness, insecurity, you name it, and you know it. Even if you get to a place where you are feeling numb about it, if you look up for just a moment, it's only leading one direction. Even if in the moment you're like, oh, this doesn't even feel, I don't even feel that bad about this. Is this actually sinful? If you actually raise your eyes from that present moment, the direction you are heading is not towards Jesus. For a moment, it feels good. We see this in the garden. When the serpent comes and tempts Eve, he, she looks at the fruit and sees that it is pleasing for the, to the eye and it is good for food and also desirable for gaining wisdom. It looks good. It looks interesting. It looks satisfying. And she took some and ate it. But what happened? She immediately experienced the shame and sin that came from disobeying God. What we know is that in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is why Peter is so intense about it. Stay away from it, he is saying. You are an exile. You are a foreigner. This is not going to lead to life. This is going to lead to death. But the question remains, when the wrong thing that is accepted by all comes knocking at our door, what will we do? Will we be like Daniel and open our windows and continue to hold fast to our commitment to God? Or will we forget our status and pick up the way of the residents around us and engage in it? You know, maybe you're listening and you're like, holy smokes, like, there are things that I have engaged in or am engaging in or, or things that I, I, I've given into those sinful desires and I need to backtrack this and I need to stop. But every time I try to stop, I just give in again and it becomes this cycle. You know, something that is probably on your life right now is shame. That's something that you are probably struggling with. And the Bible says there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Turning to him, crying out to him, surrendering it to him, asking for forgiveness, repenting. He immediately meets you with grace. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to have solved everything. You don't have to have worked through an addiction. You don't have to have done any of that. You are immediately met with grace. And you are met with grace again the next time and again the next time. So what then? Should we keep on sinning? No, that would be so foolish. But we do have to break the cycle. And we have to do it verbally. We have to tell someone. We need to let someone know. We need to repent of our sin, but we actually need to allow other people into our journey. Vocalizing what is happening in your life strangles shame. It does not survive when you start to speak about it, when other people can meet you there. And don't just talk about it to anyone, but find people that you can actually trust that can sit in compassion and empathy with you and recognize, hey, that's not who you are in Christ. That is not God's best for you. That's not what you need to keep living in. That's not the good life. Let's work on this. But at the same time, hey, you are human. You are broken. Peter knows it. We know it. You're human. So am I. We are going to at times give in to these sinful desires. But let's focus on the Holy Spirit helping us and aiding us in turning from them and staying from them. There is good news. In Romans 8, it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, talking about the law in the Old Testament, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned 
sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's it saying here? It's saying Jesus paid the price. Jesus died on a cross and paid the price for your sin and for mine. And he is the perfect one, the only one who could do it. I want to just end with this quote from C.S. Lewis, and I've talked about it before in messages in the past, but I think it's so necessary today if we are going to turn and live this good life and turn our focus and take this to heart. We need to, we need to think about it in this way. He says, we all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turn, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. There is nothing progressive about being pig-headed and refusing to admit a mistake. And I think if you look at the present state of the world, it's pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistake. We're on the wrong road. And if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way on. We need to turn to Jesus today. We actually need to turn to him and recognize that he, he wants us there, that we will find rest in him, that we will find grace, that we will find hope and a future. And this is good news for us, church. This is good news and a way to live the good life. He is gracious. He is forgiving. You haven't gone too far. Let's turn around and receive that forgiveness, but let's also shift our mindset recognizing that we are actually at war, that we are not residents here, and let's, through the power of the Holy Spirit, make another choice. You know, maybe you're here and you've never made the choice to follow Jesus at all. And right now, I want to give you the opportunity to actually do that. It's very simple. The Bible says if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. He's already done it for you. He's already paid the price. And I want to encourage you right now that if you haven't made that commitment, if you haven't made Jesus Lord over your life, I just want to pray for you right now if that's a decision you want to make. So right now, popping up in the chat, you can click the button that says, I want to make that decision. I think it's raise a hand. It's just an external, uh, uh, just an external thing of what's happening internally. And I just want to pray with you. Jesus, I thank you that you came and you died and you rose again for me, for every person making this decision right now across this screen, God. I pray right now that for those making this decision, that they would just recognize that you forgive them. We thank you for your forgiveness and that we don't have to keep walking in the way that we were, but we are actually now residents of heaven, that we are actually part of your family, God, that we are your sons and your daughters, that we are co-heirs with Christ. We thank you for this. In your name, amen. Amen. And hey, maybe you're listening right now and you're going, yeah, I needed this. I needed this reminder. I needed this urgency as foreigners and exiles abstain from these sinful desires. I want to live this good life, but I've got to surrender some of these things that I haven't been abstaining from, that I've just been seeing as normal and okay. If that's you, I also want to pray for you right now. God, I thank you that you see every part of us and you love us. And God, we just pray right now. We surrender and repent, God of the sinful areas in our lives that we have engaged in, that we continue to engage in. And God, we just pray right now that you would help us. Holy Spirit, would you help us to stop that behavior, to stop living like the world around us, to start 
stop seeing that as okay, God, and to start turning and getting curious in your word. What does it have to say? That we are actually going by what, who you are and what you have to say, not our own desires, not the brokenness that is within us. Holy Spirit, would you help us today? We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you stand back up wherever you are, and we are going to worship again. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.